When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, AP Gov, welcome to the midterm review. It's hard to believe that we're at the midpoint of this semester, but here we are. Uh, we are going to be uh, reviewing the first three units, unit one, two, three, uh, the constitutional underpinnings, which feels like forever ago, even though it was just in August, uh, the American ideologies, which was that really quick, short little unit, and then uh, political participation, which is what we just wrapped up and just did a test on on Monday. Um, and so we'll do reviews for those. Uh, I think the, the review for the constitutional underpinnings is probably the most important because once again, that feels so far away and also is the biggest chunk of your AP test when you get ready for that. Uh, all right, so let's get going. So there is a review that you have and it could download on eClass. So be sure you find that and um, take a look at it. You, know, you don't have to do it. I don't take up uh, reviews, but they are there and I think they will help you. Now, some of the questions on the test you've seen before uh, in either quizzes or tests, uh, others of them will be brand new. I did try to mix in some of the low level, low level questions, the, hey, just got to know stuff um, questions, just because there is a lot of questions where, hey, I got to read a quote, I got to look at a graph, uh, look, look at a political cartoon, whatever it might be. So I did try and mix them in there uh, so that there are some kind of breaks in the test and it's not all, uh, you know, mental, just, uh, drain the whole way through. All right, so let's get going. So first up on your review is Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence, and the Enlightened Idea. So remember that Thomas Jefferson wrote that thing. Uh, he was part of a committee uh, that, that got together and wrote the Declaration of Independence, but he, he did most of it. And he just got most a lot of his ideas from uh, the Enlightened thinkers, specifically, mainly John Locke and those natural rights. Remember, uh, life, liberty, and you know, John Locke had said property <laughs> Excuse me, and Jefferson is going to change it to um, the uh, pursuit of happiness. So uh, that was the big thing. Uh, he also is going to take from those enlightened guys, John Locke again, mainly, um, the idea that the government gets its power from me and you. All right. Uh, without us, there is no government. And so the, the power comes from from us. So that's the, the, the key things to remember there. All right. Next up, James Madison and Fed 51. Uh, remember, Fed 51. So Fed 10, he's going to argue or uh, talk about factions. Fed 51 is going to be uh, Baron Montesquieu's ideas. All right. And remember, the main thing there is the separation of powers. So uh, he's going to argue that we should be having a separate separate government because we don't want to have one branch, one individual well, all those powers, the power to legislate, enforce, and judge laws. We don't want one person, one branch to have those, so we do separate uh, those out there. And um, you know, this is going to keep any person, any branch from gaining too much power. Okay. Uh, number three, ways the Constitution can change. So it can officially change through the amendment process, which it comes a little bit later, but we'll talk about that just right now. Um, so the amendment process, remember, that is where Congress, so our national Congress can make a law. I mean, I'll make it a uh, proposed amendment 
or a national convention of the states can do that. But why do that when we already have Congress in place? So Congress can uh, introduce and then vote on a, an amendment, and then it goes to the states for ratification. So that that's one way um, that the Constitution can change. It can kind of informally change also just over time. You know, there's no mention of the cabinets. There's no mention uh, of political parties and things like that, but we have them. All right, so just that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court can can fundamentally change the Constitution without actually changing the Constitution. When they interpret something and they make a decision on it, that becomes the law. You know, uh, anything back to separate but equal was the, the policy that had been created with Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896. And then in 1954, uh, they ruled in Brown versus Board of Education that separate but equal was no longer a thing. Okay, and you had to desegregate, or I always miss up here, uh, that segregation was no longer legal, you can desegregate schools. And that became basically the interpretation of the 14th Amendment and, uh, you know, everything being equal with, with citizenship and whatnot. So uh, they can change things. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, the Constitutional Convention compromises. You got three of them. You got to know the Great Compromise. You might also see it. I think on the test, it might say Connecticut Compromise slash Great Compromise. So keep that in mind. Remember, that's going to combine the, the Virginia plan and the, the New Jersey plans. Um, you had one that wanted to have a one house legislature based on population. The other one said one house based on equality. And so they combined the two. And that's why we have the two house legislature we have today with the House and the Senate. Uh, that was the, the Great Compromise or the Connecticut Compromise. Then you have the Three-Fifths Compromise. Remember, that was about the representation in Congress and taxes. South wanted slaves to count. North did not for representation purposes. And so they came together and got with a Three-Fifths Compromise. And then the Commerce Compromise, remember, this is going to allow the federal government to uh, regulate the slave trade uh, after a 20-year wait period. So 1808, roughly, somewhere, I can't remember the exact year, somewhere in there. Uh, 20 years after the, the Constitution was created and signed and, and finalized and all that kind of stuff, the federal government was able to start regulating the slave trade. All right. Uh, number five is rights. Every human has a right to. Those are pretty simple. We've already talked about them, the natural rights. OK, so those are the natural rights. Uh, the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. OK, remember, the Federalists wanted the Constitution. The Anti-Federalists were against it. Uh, they 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 they. Yeah, they were against it. They, they wanted to see some things. Uh, the, the Federalists were very much for the, the strong central government with very weak states. Uh, the Anti-Federalists were for the strong state governments and a weak central government. Okay, uh, And then once the Anti-Federalists kind of got on board and they saw the Constitution was kind of going to roll along and happen, they said, okay, if we're going to sign this thing, we got to have a Bill of Rights. And that's just what's going to uh, uh, tip the scales and finally get us the, the Constitution uh, that we had. Okay, uh, number seven, republic versus democracy. Remember, we are in a republic. Okay, we're in a republic. We're, we're kind of a democracy. We're a representative democracy, but not a true democracy. Um, so we would have more people involved in, in the, the decision making if we were true, true democracy. Um, and so just the, you know, the republic is just where we select our representatives and they, they make laws and they govern us. So. That's, that's all that is. Number eight, separation of powers. What is each branch responsible for? So we've already talked about separation of powers. So I'm not going to spend time there. The, the three branches, what are they responsible for? So the legislative branch, they write the laws. The executive branch, they enforce the laws. And the courts are obviously going to judge the laws. So those are uh, 
those things there. First Amendment freedoms. Okay, give example and give examples from court cases. So we did this. We we went through the the amendments and we went through some court cases with those amendments. So the First Amendment. Remember, there's five freedoms in there. You have uh, press, okay, speech, religion, petition, and assembly. Okay, so for the press, uh, one of the big ones is New York Times versus Sullivan. All right, uh, that's the the court case. They are New York Times versus Sullivan. Um, and you also had New York Times versus the U.S. Uh, as two big ones. OK, uh, the New York Times versus the U.S. is a required case. So let's talk about that one. Uh, this is the case where, <coughs> excuse me, the. Uh, uh, the, the papers, the, the Post, the New York Times, the Washington Post had some papers, the Pentagon Papers. And they want to publish them. The government said no. They took it to the court. The Supreme Court says no, they can't. All right. That's a, I know that's a quick version, but I don't want to spend too much time uh, on these cases because we could spend all day. We could spend a whole you know, series of podcasts on the court cases. So uh, the freedom of speech. OK, you had the, the ability to, to talk. I mean, there's a bunch of cases under the freedom of speech. Um, so the big one probably that we talked, I don't think there's a required case under here. Um, there is Shank versus U.S., which kind of deals with freedom of speech, but he got denied. Uh, Texas versus Johnson is the flag burning case uh, that allowed for uh, the flag to be burned as a part of symbolic speech. So there's those freedom of religion. There's a, a bunch of cases under freedom of religion. And actually, we'll get to a couple of them down later. Uh, number 32, you take a look at it, Wisconsin versus Yoder and Engel versus Vital. So I'm going to talk specifically about those then. I'm not going to talk about them now because I don't think you got to know them for uh, this question. Uh, and then petition and assembly. Uh, there's not really one for petition that I can remember or recall, but for assembly, we didn't talk about it just because it's not a required case, but there is the NAACP versus uh, Alabama. Alabama, back in the civil rights era, they wanted to force the NAACP to release the names and addresses and all, you know, just all the member information of their members, which would have been a horrible thing for their members. So that's why uh, it went to court and the Supreme Court did eventually rule in favor of uh, the NAACP. So they could not, because of freedom of assembly, they could not be forced to do that. All right, 10, uh, Articles of Confederation and its ratification. All right. So uh, it took quite a bit for uh, the articles all right, to be ratified. Uh, and then whenever it was, it was unanimous. OK, so that that's makes it difficult. And then once it's actually government, it took nine out of 13 to pass something and 13 out of 13 to make a change to the articles uh, or you know, to, like we have the amendment process with the Constitution. Uh, the same amendment process for the articles was unanimous. You had to have 13 out of 13, which was almost impossible to get. Uh, structure of the government under the articles. So uh, remember that there was a single house legislature, okay? And each state was, had the same amount of power. So the large states versus the small states, um, States, whatever. Okay, they were they were all had the same amount of power. So Rhode Island, one of the worst early states ever. Okay, had the same amount of power as New York, Pennsylvania, you know, all those different states. The amendment process kind of already touched on this real quick though. Remember, uh, you can start at the national level, uh, whether it be Congress or the uh, national convention. Which why well, use that when we have Congress in place already? And then once it's passed there by two thirds vote of 
the full Congress. It then goes to the state for the ratification, states for the ratification. And you got to get three fourths or 38 of the states to say yes. And it can be the state legislatures or it can be state conventions. But once again, why do the state conventions when we already have state legislatures there? All right. Uh, let's see. Next up is federal grants. And you've got the categorical grants versus the block grants. And the uh, categorical grants, remember, those come with strings attached. So, hey, do this. Uh, here's the money, but you got to spend it on this 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 project, whatever this this program is, whatever. You can't spend it anywhere else. Block grants are more freedom, so the the, the states are allowed to spend those block grants uh, in a little bit more free freely. Okay. Now on the test, there's a it's not specifically about those things. It's it's a graph, so just be prepared for that. Uh, U.S. versus Lopez, and an older case that it has the same constitutional principle with. All right. So U.S. versus Lopez. Remember, this deals with the uh, it, it it happens because of the Commerce Clause and the fact that uh, the Lopez brought a gun to school and he broke the you know the Gun Free School Zone Act and so he was charged uh, by the state and then the federal government got in and said we want to charge him too and so that's where the case comes from that's why it's U.S. versus Lopez is because Lopez argues well why should you, why, you you're overstepping your your powers here. Uh, U.S. government by <clears throat> trying to enforce this this decision uh, or this uh, this law because you're saying it deals with commerce, but it, high schools have nothing to do. Schools in general have nothing to do with interstate commerce, and so there, there's the argument uh, against it. And the the Supreme Court is going to agree with Lopez, and they're going to basically tell the the federal government that hey, you've overstepped your bounds here. You cannot you you can't enforce this law. Um, and that's going to be similar to the Gibbons versus Ogden's case, except for the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the U.S. government in Gibbons versus Ogden. So that's a steamboat case. You should have probably got it in U.S. history. We talked about it very briefly. Uh, but Gibbons versus Ogden, they both got charters for the Hudson River, one from New York, one from New Jersey. They got there onto the river one day. And it's like that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. OK, hey, I'm supposed to be the only one here. No, I'm supposed to be the only one here. And they whipped out their charters. And that's that's where the case comes from. And the Supreme Court can say, you know what? None of those charters are good because the only people that can say anything about com uh, interstate commerce is the federal Congress. All right. Uh, let's see. Number 15, Article six of the Constitution. <clears throat> so that is going to be the supremacy clause. Remember, the federal government. And the Constitution specifically is the supreme law of the land. So this is built in there because, remember, the states ran things under the Articles. We didn't want to have that again. So we're going to give all the power to the, the what you call it, the, uh, the state, uh, the, the, the federal government. Okay. Uh, 16, full faith and credit, privileges and immunities, and extradition. So uh, this deals with the state-to-state -state relationships, basically. Okay. Uh, full faith and credit, remember, they're going to honor each other's stuff. So this is why the same-sex marriage was an issue because some states were allowing it and giving all the benefits and all that kind of stuff, and other states were not. And then they weren't honoring marriages that happened in other states. So if you got married in one of the states as a same-sex couple that allowed it and then moved to Georgia, let's say, because we weren't honoring them, um, then you didn't get the benefits. Okay, and so that was that was at, where where that comes from. Privileges and immunities just means you're going to follow the same rules and, and regulations and stuff like that. They're going to apply to you as to the to, to state citizens. Okay, so just because you go from Georgia to Florida uh, for vacation doesn't mean you have to get a driver's license or take a driver's test or something like that. They're going to honor your Georgia license. And the next tradition, this is the fact 
or the ability of states to work out deals. So if you've done something bad in multiple states, they will try and work out a deal and they'll send you back if you get caught. So if you do something bad in Georgia, but you get caught in Florida, Florida would probably going to send will probably send you back uh, unless you've done something equally or worse in Florida. So it just uh, that's the the working of the states and sending things sending prisoners uh, back and forth. All right, federal mandates. Uh, remember, these are basically uh, statements from the federal government saying, "Hey, you're going to do this, states." And the states typically have to comply. Uh, they might lose money or funding or whatever it might be. You know, they still have the choice. You know, uh, we, we've talked about the, the EOC in this course and how uh, the, the federal government still said they refused to waive the, the, the EOCs and make them, they still want them to count. And our state superintendent of schools has said, well, we're going to make it count at 0.1%, make it count as little as possible, as low as possible, other than zero, which they can't do by law. So that's where those are. All right. Uh, so when Congress does something, a cabinet position does something, uh, it says, hey, states, you can do this. That's a federal mandate. Citizens United versus FEC. So citizens versus the Federal Elections Commission. Now, there is a, a, a uh, cartoon on the test for this one. OK, so a political cartoon. So be aware of that. Uh, basically, this case, remember, comes from the movie Hillary, and it was a case where uh, this group, Citizens United, a nonprofit group, got money from businesses and corporations and groups like that. And they were making a movie about Hillary and made her look pretty badly uh, in this movie. And so eventually uh, they're going to be challenged based on the Campaign Finance Reform Act. That's the McCain-Feingold Act, remember? And uh, they're going to argue, hey, we can take money from whoever. And big businesses, it, what it boiled into was, should the money they got from the big businesses, from the corporations, from these groups uh, be restricted like it's supposed to be? And the Supreme Court is going to say no, that uh, that is free speech. OK, and you can't restrict free speech. So basically, they're going to allow you know, money to be uh, going left to right uh, from businesses to be spent uh, on these interest groups. And they're going to you know, do commercials and ads and all that sort of stuff. All right. 19 social media and campaigns. We talked about this very briefly, but uh, remember, it is. A big component of people's um, a huge component of people's uh, campaigns nowadays is that social media component, whether it be you know, Facebook, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, whatever it might be uh, the Politicians are out there and they're campaigning because they know young people and other, you know, not just young people, but people are on social media quite often. Uh, let's see. Number 20. How do interest groups gain influence? So the big thing they're going to use is money. All right. So that's the big thing. You, we know they lobby. But at the end of the day, the, the number one thing they're going to be doing is providing. You know, they're looking to influence congressmen through those political donations. So they want to, to give money to the campaigns. Um, and so this goes back to that Citizens United. Should the interest groups, should the industries, the whoever it might be, with the big checkbooks, should they have more influence because of their checkbooks than, you know, small businesses or whatever it might be. But that's the that's the, the number one way that they're going to try and gain influence is, is through money, whether it be direct donations to a candidate. And that's limited. Remember, that's hard money. Or direct donations to a, a political party. Remember, that's going to be soft money because it's not regulated. 
Um, or is it giving it to a pack who's going to run this commercial, so on and so forth. So they're looking to, to gain influence that way. Uh, 21, political parties versus the interest groups. So remember, political parties, their main goal is to run the government. So they want to run candidates, okay? They're going to recruit. Remember, that's one of the big things political parties do is they recruit candidates to run uh, in uh, for office versus the interest groups who are just looking to, well, they want to influence the policy. OK, they don't want to be involved because there's too much. They're, they're not concerned about all the different things that have to be concerned about when you're running the government. They just want to influence and sway politicians to do what they want to on the policies that they want and are concerned about. Uh, roles of the political parties. OK, the roles of the political parties. Remember, they do a couple of things. They fundraise. They recruit candidates, like we said just a minute ago. Um, they are going to be highly involved in educating people you know uh, about when uh, elections are and, and things like that uh, about what it takes to vote you know uh, every state's different when it comes to, to showing an id and all those sorts of things so uh, they they are going to make people aware of that i've gotten some paperwork from both the democrats and the republicans hey this is what it takes to vote for georgia today you know just you know all that kind of stuff all right um Iron triangles. Remember, we said not to make too big of a deal about iron triangles. So for now, I think you, if you, as long as you can remember the, the groups that are involved in the iron triangles, we're in good shape because we're going to put the pieces together a little bit more so when we get to Congress and then when we get to the bureaucratic agencies and what they do. But the iron triangle is the interest groups and their relationship with congressional committees and their relationship with bureaucratic agencies. And it's all kind of intertwined because the interest groups are giving money to the political, to the, uh, the, can the congressman on particular committees because that's where the work takes place in a bill. And so you're going to go talk to those people because they can affect the bills. They're going to be the watchdog over the bureaucratic agencies, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to. So, yeah, um, that is, is the iron triangle. So once again, don't make it huge. It shows up in multiple places. So that's why it's going to show up. That's why we're going to talk about it more later on down the road. All right, 24, media and citizens demand for information. We want to know more stuff. So that has led to the growth of this 24-hour news network. And I think, I personally think it's a problem. All right, just because there's not always 24 hours worth of news. And so we get a lot of you know, people on there talking, ranting, giving their opinions, and people accepting that as fact. And so to me, that's not really reporting the news. I think we can limit our, our we don't really need the 24-hour news Stations and, and you know, with the internet and social media being so quick to get stuff out there, do we really need 24 hours of news coverage anymore? All right, 25 perspective voting, retrospective voting, and rational choice. So, perspective voting remember that is where you are voting based on what you think is going to happen. So, hey, I, I see this person, I see their policies, I think because of those policies, this will happen, it'll be good, so I'm going to vote for them. So in the future, things will be good. Retrospective voting, remember that is looking at the past. So what is what's going on? What what have they done and what has it caused? All right. Um, and you know, that's that's probably what most people do. And then you've got the uh, rational choice, which is what's going to be the best for me. So you kind of take a look at everything, both you know, the past and, and the future, hopefully, and hopefully things are gonna be good for you, and you vote for people that are gonna do what's best for you and your family. Okay. Uh, 26, the 24th Amendment. Remember, this is going to get rid of poll taxes. So this is going to be an expansion of political participation because it's going to make it easier for people to vote because no longer can they be charged. 
the vote so it expands uh, the electorate. Number 27, why is there more turnout in presidential elections than in midterms? Well, because remember, people value the presidential elections over the midterms. People put a higher precedent. They think that the president is more important than congressional elections. I argue that the, that the opposite is true. Our congressional elections are more important than our presidential elections, but it's what it is, and we're at where we're at in this country, okay, uh, with the views. Okay, uh, Democratic ideology, Republican ideology. Okay, remember the Democrats, they're going to be more for government involvement on um, the business side. So they want to regulate the business. And then the Republicans are going to be less regulation on the business. Okay, Democrats want to tax the businesses more. Republicans want to tax them less. Okay, they want to let them run the free market as they see fit. Uh, socially, remember the Democrats are going to be more for free choice, letting people do kind of what they need to and want to. Republicans are going to have a little more control there. They want they don't want to give up some of that free choice. Uh, Republicans are going to run on smaller government. Democrats are going to say more government. So that's kind of the, some of the differences in the ideologies. Libertarians, remember, they're just completely, hey, why is the government doing this? Why is the government uh, involved in this? Uh, the government should, you know, they shouldn't be able to tell you what to do. They should be able to, you know, you want to, you want to do drugs? The marijuana basically okay you want to do them then that's true why should the government tell you not to okay uh why is the government spending here why is the government doing this the government should be very limited just to the, the basic services okay uh conservative versus liberal so that goes back to uh the democrats versus the republicans kind of and uh, what we were saying there you know conservatives are going to be uh they're not going to be for as much social spending uh they're going to be for for smaller government, Democrats are going to be for more social spending, more more free choice in the social areas, and um, you know, more spending. Okay, thirty-two Wisconsin versus Yoder and Engel versus Vital. So Wisconsin versus Yoder is a free exercise case. Engel versus Vital is an establishment clause case. Wisconsin versus Yoder dealt with school policy about eighth graders and when you had to when you could be pulled out of school. Uh, the Amish wanted to pull their kids out of school, and so this is a state policy being ruled as violating free exercise. OK, the establishment clause, this was about school prayer, and it's going to say, hey, this is a, a policy, a, a state policy, a school policy that violates the establishment clause. Political socialization, this is where you get your beliefs from. All right. So, you know, you get it from your families, you get it from school. You know, one of the goals of, of schooling is to, to socialize you in the government. All right. So there is that. Uh, friends, your, you know, relationships with uh, your religion, media, all those kind of places you get politically socialized. 34, public opinion polls. So um, public opinion polls, remember this is going to give people, and when I say people, you know, us, an idea of, of who's winning and you know what the public opinion is. is these are run by the media. They're run by Groups, the Pew Research people. Uh, so there's different places that that Pew, I mean that uh, not Pew, but Pew Pew, uh, that people get these from. Okay, uh, but the you, know, you remember you want to be as random as possible here. You you can make these seem one way, uh, depending upon who you ask, the questions you ask, and all those sorts of things. And I'm I'm running short on time, and I don't want to talk over my 30 minutes because last time I talked and talked and talked to talk past uh, the time. So last couple of questions here, exit polls. Remember these are given after you walk out of the booth. They're not very accurate. Uh, and you know, with all the digital stuff, they're, 
really kind of going away. So you, you probably won't even see any exit polls in November. You might, I don't know. Uh, and you, I don't know if you'll get asked or not, but uh, you know, there, there's so we can try and give a report of who's winning the election. And then finally, number 36, the Article of Confederation versus the Constitution. So uh, this is one of those column questions, and you just got to figure out what had what. Remember, the articles was a weak government. They only had the one house. It took unanimous consent to make any changes. It took 9 out of 13 to get things passed. The U.S. Constitution creates a two-house legislature, uh, strong central government, uh, the ability to tax, the ability to uh, form a mil military, uh, and different things like that. All right, guys, so there is your midterm. It is on Wednesday. It'll open up about 2 a.m., I think. So if you want to wake up early, get a thing knocked out, go ahead. Uh, or you can be like normal people, and you can wait until later in the day to take it, or you can take it in class. Uh, as long as you get it taken in, I will put up an NTI in on Thursday morning, though. I know it's not a school day, but uh, I'm still going to get up uh, and put it in there. So be sure you're getting it done. All right, guys, if you have any questions, as always, feel free to hit me up on remind email. Uh, I still have that Twitter that I never do anything with, so don't worry about that. But email remind, and I will answer your questions uh, as you need to. All right, guys, y'all take care and enjoy your fall break if I don't get to talk to you uh, before then. Take some time and relax. Uh, you have nothing for me to do. All right, guys, take care.